Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. Today I have Marco Santarelli. Marco is an investor, author, founder of Noriad Real Estate Investments, nationwide provider of turnkey cash-flowing properties. Since 2004, they've helped over 1,000 real estate investors create wealth and passive income through real estate. He's also the host of the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. Glenn, it's great being on your show. Thank you. Is there anything else we should add to that? I don't know. <laughs> um, no, you pretty much covered it. I mean, 14 years, been helping investors create financial freedom, and uh, you know, we're market agnostic, so we don't focus on one specific market, and I think that's an important thing, is uh, you, know, you need to disconnect yourself from uh, from the investment and the market and be uh, uh, emotionally detached. And so that flexibility allows us to pick the best markets at the right time with the best cash flows. And, and, and you know, that's the model. So that's what we've been doing. That's where I started personally investing. And that's how we grew this business. So huh, where did you start personally investing? Where, like what state did you start in? Well, we're both Canadians, yeah. <laughs> so it's not a state. Actually, it was the province of Alberta. That's where I, I got my first property, and I was uh, 18 at the time. I, as soon as I could qualify for financing, I, I jumped in and I bought my first property. And you know, the writing was on the wall. I got my real estate license in Calgary, and uh, then I started buying more property. And then just to kind of fast forward, because I I've always had businesses. Uh, on and off through time and some of them were failures and some of them were successes but you fast forward to 2003 I got back into real estate investing and it was around that time where I just started meeting a lot of investors and jumping in uh, head first uh, living in Southern California uh, investing 3,000 miles away in other states that included Michigan Georgia and Florida at the time and in my first year which was 2004 of getting back into real estate I had accumulated or purchased 84 doors in one year so 12 months 84 doors and uh, it was a lot and I did it remotely and of course I you know tripped and fell and made a lot of mistakes in in the course of doing that but that created a process and a roadmap that solidified the right methodology to invest from afar and many people experience this today because of you know what I had done back then including yourself yeah. so um, but yeah that's that's kind of in the nutshell my story of, of investing and reinvesting in real estate so it wasn't the real estate that actually brought you to the states you were there for another reason then yeah yeah that's another story I was kind of a, a third partner in a in a quote-unquote dot-com type of business where we raised venture capital funding and it was great while it lasted and then the Nasdaq crashed back in I think 2001 um, and then our venture capital funding dried up and we had to fold the company and so I took two years off and decided um, yeah you know what my passion and love is, is real estate I want to help you know as many people create financial freedom as possible so that's where the business kind of uh, grew from did you like have a green card beforehand like how, how did you make that leap to even get down there uh, interesting question I uh, no I didn't I, it, I mean the, te the the specifics is this I came down on a TN visa which is a treaty NAFTA they call it a TN1 um, and I had that for a number of years because that's really the stepping stone to go to the next level which is a green card a green card application actually and so Years after the TN, I got the green card, and then after five years of holding a green card, you can apply for citizenship. And so, um, my wife and I both applied for citizenship. And um, after I'm not sure how long, a period of time, we ended up getting our citizenship. So, 
so actually, yeah, we've got uh, you know the citizenship down here, and we live down here. But if someone was new into doing these turnkey rentals, what would they expect from their first purchase? I always say that that investing in real estate always starts with you. It's it's really it's really what your investment goals are, and it always starts off with you, and then what your strategy is. Most investors want to be passive real estate investors. They want to yeah. build a portfolio. They want the passive income. They want the cash flow. And they don't necessarily want to be dealing with distressed sellers, distressed property, swinging hammers and flipping property. Uh, that's an active model. That's a business. It's it's transactional. It's not passive income. So it really comes down to you what you want to achieve. Now, the people who ultimately call us and the, and the people that we talk to are investors that want to be passive real estate investors. They want to acquire a portfolio. They want that passive income to generate financial freedom, which ultimately leads to the thing that everybody wants, and that is time freedom, freedom to spend with your family, your friends, and do what you want when you want. That's what we're all aspiring to because then we can do what we want and give back to the people we love and you know be doing charitable things. So... Um, so your goals break down into your criteria, and when when we talk to investors or when you talk to yourself about what you should be doing, you really need to define what is it that I'm looking for. Uh, let's make sure it's realistic, and and if it is, great. Then let's look at the markets, the neighborhoods, and the property types that meet that criteria in terms of what you want to invest in as a real estate investor. This is the process that we go through with our clients. We kind of get into their head and pull out that information. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. Uh, a lot of people will contact us saying, hey, you know what? I want to invest in real estate. I get it. And I know I need to do it. I don't know a lot about it, but I need someone to guide me and hold my hand. And we just take those people and just say, okay, where are you at today? Where do you want to go? How much are you working with? What kind of credit do you have? Even if you're Canadian, there is there are financing options as Cana for Canadians to invest in the U.S. And as long as you've got the right team around you in terms of acquisition, financing, um, you know, inspection, title company, um, attorney, your CPA, and all that kind of stuff, we help you with all that. Um, but that's a long answer to your short question. The real, the, the real answer is that it starts with you, and let's define what you want, what you need, and then let's make sure we can find that for you. Maybe we can't help you. Maybe you have to talk to someone um, in another state that's referred to you by someone, or maybe you vet them out, but... Um, all starts with you. So for people who are assuming their first property, what kind of things should they expect like from guarantees from the turnkey operator, you know, any guarantees on maintenance? First of all, I will say that, you know, guarantees are, are far and few between. There are some companies that offer various types of guarantees like a, a tenant placement guarantee or a rent guarantee or whatever they may, may be. You should never base your decisions based on guarantees. They're more like icing on the cake if they're there. Uh, they're nice to have, but you shouldn't need them to start with, and you shouldn't rely on them if they are there. Expectations vary. Uh, it depends on the type of market and the type of growth in the market. So I like to look at the cash-on-cash cash return, uh, but I also like to look at the, the whole picture because it's not just the cash-on-cash cash return you have from a property. It's the amortization of the loan and the appreciation you get, plus in if circumstances are right for you, the depreciation on the property is a, is a wonderful tax benefit. I'm not sure how that applies to Canadians, but here in the U.S., you know, we've got all the expenses on a property are a, a, um, are a deduction in terms of your income and expenses, and then whatever's left over your net, you know, your, your net income is what is taxable, and if you have your 
if you have a good tax strategist, a good tax advisor, and they have your fair set of property, you could l virtually zero out your tax impact on any income from real estate. Uh, now, you as an investor or your listeners listening to this, you might lean more towards cash flow and cash flow markets, or you might lean more towards um, uh, you know, growth markets. Now, we're never going to speculate. We're never going to look at a market that's, that's purely an appreciation play. It, the, the property needs to make sense the day you buy it, from day number one. It needs to be cash flow positive from the get-go. And it needs to be in a sustainable area and in a sustainable market where there's jobs and job growth. So if you have those things as the foundation of the house – no pun intended, but you have to, if you have that as the foundation, then you are set to um, do well in good times and bad because all everything cycles. The, there's, there are business cycles, there are real estate cycles, there are economic cycles. And you could weather through that if you are positioned in the right market, in the right neighborhoods where you have large ten tenant pool, you have cash, cash flow coming in, it's cash flow positive. And if there's fluctuations in the rental income, it doesn't make an impact on your sustainability your ability to sustain and, and, and keep that property because I call cash flow the glue, the glue that holds your deal together. And you want that glue because um, your tenant's paying the mortgage. Your tenant is buying the property for you. So as long as that loan is being paid and you've got all your expenses covered, including vacancy and maintenance and repairs, what's left over is net income. It's spendable cash. Go straight in your pocket or you could reinvest it. Um, anyway, I'm going off maybe on a bit of a tangent. No, no. Like the the cash flow thing is a good thing to talk about because I hear in Ontario, like because of our, the way the prices are now and mm -hmm. I, a lot of investors are buying these properties and it, it scares me because they're going on. It doesn't really matter if it's cash flowing because the market is going up so much every year that you can make $20,000 every year just because of the appreciation. But you know, like we were talking off air beforehand, it, you know, it's, it's a market, it's a cycle, right? Yeah. So let me challenge you on that a little bit. Um, there are so many people in Canada, especially in Toronto and Vancouver, among many other markets, this is true, I see this happening in Calgary, Edmonton, and, and many other markets, where property values have been appreciating for so long that, that people who are putting money into real estate are calling themselves investors. The reality is, is their, their cash flow is negative. They don't have any cash flow. They're basically covering the nut on on these properties they're buying because they didn't they their debt service is just too high and they've overpaid for a property so the point i'm making is that they're not investors because they're not putting money into something where that asset generates positive income positive cash flow it's a speculative play if you're buying a million dollar property you're hoping that next year it's worth 1.1 million you know and, and you could have made a hundred thousand dollars but that's a not not a realized gain it's on paper it's just what shows up on a balance sheet but until you actually liquidate that property yeah. that hundred thousand is not profit it's just it's it's paper profit you know that that's the thing. I see, I, I see this in coastal markets in in um, in the United States, all along California, New York, New Jersey, uh, all the way up to Spokane, Washington. These markets are, are are inflated and have been appreciating for many years, well above its Nash uh, its its historic average. And so that is not sustainable. So now these markets are inflated; they're overpriced, and the price to the rent ratio has increased so much that. You can't cash flow. You can't get a rate of return because the rent lags far behind that price appreciation, and it does that for many, many years. Well, this is what happened in Vancouver and Toronto. Is 
it's been appreciating so much, so fast, for so many years, that it's impossible for rent and income to keep up with it. And so yep. how do you buy a property with a reasonable down payment and pay a reasonable price um, and, and, and have a, you know, a, any expectation of a rate of return? It just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, so, no, it's, it's scary because if the market does make an adjustment, there's going to be people who, you know, they're just upside down on these properties. Right, exactly, and that's what's happening. My first property yeah. I bought through uh, your, I was with Melissa, which is one of your, uh, I don't know what you call her, your associate. Investment counselors. Inve investment yeah. counselors. So yeah. I, I worked with <laughs> Melissa, and she, we bought a property in Huntsville, Alabama. We went through, everything went through, we closed, and then after one month of owning the property, the sewer line broke between the house and the road, and it backed up into the house. And at first I had the uh, plumbers there and they gave me a quote of $3,500. And uh, I thought, you know what, I was about to pay it. And I went, you know what, let's call up Melissa and see what, what can be done. I was like really frustrated with the process. And mm -hmm. then Melissa came in, she talked to the local people and they were over there two days later, dug up the yard, fixed the whole problem. And I didn't, didn't charge me a penny. I walked away and, and I had the most happy feeling with Narada because of that. It cool. Worked, it worked out amazing, and they said it wasn't their fault, and I completely agree. They said we never had a massive amount of water running through the property because we weren't doing a plumbing upgrade, and they said we just we, it wouldn't show up in a property inspection. But we, you know, we feel like that should have been fixed by us if we would have known about it. So they fixed it all for me. I was greatly appreciative. I did not know about that, to be honest with you. Yeah, I had I had no idea. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you're wondering where I was going to go with that story. <laughs> I, 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 it didn't matter where you went with it because I was obviously going to step in and make sure that you got taken care of yeah. because that's just the way we work around here. Um, but that story illustrates one thing. We've been doing this for so long. We have such tight relationships with our teams on the ground, um, what we call our they're essentially like joint venture partners, but they're they're our property providers, and we are agnostic. We're not married to a market. We're not married to a provider, a, a lender, a title company, an inspector. You know, we're we're just agnostic across the board. But because we have these good relationships, and we generate a lot of volume every month and every year, these companies that we work with know that we are a very good strategic partner for them. And so they bend over backwards. It's not that we're exerting leverage on them, but we do have leverage on them. And so they're willing to bend over backwards to help us as a company, as, as a, a, you know, as a strategic alliance that we have and to help our clients, guys like yourself, when situations like these come up. Um, you know, when you're dealing with real estate, there are many moving parts, plus you're dealing with people. People are human, you know, and um, people do dumb things and sometimes dumb things happen and unfortunate things happen, you know, whether it's a job loss, a transfer, a, um, death in the family, whatever the case is. And so, you know, we just need to be able to deal with these things rationally and objectively. And so that's what we always do. And whether it's us or the property management company you're working with, at the end of the day, um, we try to make it as hassle-free as possible and as smooth as possible, knowing that it's never a completely smooth road. It's going to be, there's going to be gravel and bumps along the way, but ultimately it's uh, by far the best investment you could possibly make. So that's, you know, that's the trade-off. Yeah. One of the big things that got me into Alabama was landlord laws and 
low property taxes. No, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the state of Alabama is, is, has extremely strong laws in favor of the landlord, you. Um, they have very favorable tenant-landlord laws. If, if a tenant doesn't pay, they, you know, the, the property manager will file a, a quit, um, a pay or quit. And uh, they have, I can't remember the exact number of days, but they have a very short period of time to make good on that, um, on that past due rent payment. And if if uh, if they don't, then the property manager or you can file a um, uh, an eviction notice. And by the end of the month, it can be that quick. By the same end of the same month, they could be uh, basically tossed out of the property. So tenants don't really screw around in that state. <laughs> they and know. I found that it was when it was so fast that well, because I had one month where the person was late, they're like, "Do you want to do an eviction?" And I was like, "I'm used to on Ontario tenants, right?" And they're like, "Oh, they're like." I think it was 10 or 15, 10 days late. And I'm like, do you want to start the eviction? And I was just like, they're only 10 days late. Like, I know I legally can start. Yeah, and in some states, and I'm not sure about Ontario, but uh, some states and provinces, um, you can get what I refer to as a professional tenant. They know how to game the system, and they could literally be there for months without you being able to do anything to get them out of the property. And uh, and they don't pay rent. You know, they'll just ride it out. And uh, you won't find that in Alabama. Alabama is one of a number of states that are like that. Um, also, you know, the state of Alabama has, relatively speaking, low property taxes, which obviously helps towards the cash flow of the property. Um, everything's relative, of course, in real estate. Like Texas, as an example, has high property taxes, is about 4% of the property's value. But at the same time, they have higher and stronger monthly rents that make more than make up for that. So even though a state may have high property taxes, um, you got to look at the overall picture, the, the, the income and expenses as a whole. But uh, Alabama is great because there's there's strong job growth and it's kind of a diamond in the rough. A lot of people don't know about Alabama or talk much about it, but there's a very strong tech like IT information technology influence there. Um, Birmingham has a lot of growth, a lot of blue collar, but a lot of white collar. It's, it's, it's really a great market and uh, a lot of people don't really know much about it, but um, for those that do, they realize that they can get properties for 100 to 150 thousand U.S. Um, that will rent for roughly one percent of that per month. So 125 thousand dollar property rents for run roughly 1,200 a month. Um, you know your taxes are probably only 100 to 120 dollars a month. Uh, you know your numbers are very favorable. If you bought that property all cash, you're looking at you know eight 800 dollars a month ish in positive cash flow. Um, if you finance it, well, great, you know, higher cash on cash return, but slightly lower cash flow, and that's the way it works. Yep. So. Yeah, and then there's like some really big employers in, in both Birmingham and uh, Huntsville, I know. Birmingham has Mercedes, Regions Bank, uh, Graybar, and I got Huntsville with uh, Boeing, Toyota, uh, Lockheed Martin, FBI, NASA, Remington Arms, Polaris. Yeah. If you get lucky enough to get military tenants, they have to pay their rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 don't mess around because if they um if they're later they skip, you know, you can report them to their their uh, CO, their commanding officer, and um a lot of times their rent is actually subsidized by the military. So, you're actually getting it from the government essentially. It's not really coming from them personally. They, you know, they make a small enough salary as it is being in the military. So, their housing is being subsidized. So, yeah, it's like having government uh government assisted uh rent payments. And they and and the and the military's not going anywhere. I mean, they've got bases 
throughout the United States. You know, whenever you're near a military installation, odds are there's never going to be a closure. I mean, it's happened in history, but it's pretty rare for them to downsize or, or have a closure. Usually you have a very stable base of, of tenants in and around any kind of military base or installation. I'll make a quick comment about, you know, the, the three markets, Birmingham, Montgomery, and, and Huntsville. You know, they are affordable markets. Um, and very much a cash flow market. Those are cash flow markets. They, they're, they're very, I'll call them boring markets, but we like boring because they're, they're stable, steady, cash flow generating rental properties. We don't see a long, Alabama, the Alabama markets don't have a strong history of price swings, which is a good thing, or price appreciation. Over time, it just keeps up with inflation, which is ultimately what you want hard assets to do. And real estate is a hard asset. So you've got great cash flow, you've got stable growth, and you have, um, um, you, you know, well-priced properties in a market that has a very large tenant pool and good rates of return. So th you look at those as cash flow markets. If you're looking uh, for stronger growth potential, like someone is interested in more appreciation, um, then you could go into a hybrid market that's a cross between cash flow and and growth. And some of those markets, not all, but some would be like Jacksonville, Florida. Atlanta, Georgia, um, maybe to a lesser degree today, but Dallas, certainly Houston. Um, Would Kansas City and, fit in there? Yeah, Kansas City, Missouri yeah. is definitely a hybrid market. It, it it started becoming a hybrid market about three years ago. Uh, so it's a very strong market right now. Um, but prior to that, it was more of a cash flow or what we call a linear market. For, for many, many years, it was kind of a, a boring, smooth, and steady um, uh, city, but there's just a lot of jobs and growth right there right now and it's pushing prices up. My general rule of thumb is to build a footprint in one market of three to five properties or more if you want, but three yeah. to five properties in one market, you know, build a, a solid footprint there with one property management company and then move to the second market and do the same thing, three to five properties there and then move on to that third market and do three to five plus there. And so you want, you want, deeper roots and a more solid footprint in the, in a market before you go too wide. I mean, the last thing I'd want you to see is have 20 properties, one in 20 different markets. <laughs> yeah. No, I, under, I understand. And because then you get, uh, you, it's about a lot of like with real estate's building relationships, right? And so, yes. So you'll, you'll develop uh, possibly a better team in that same neighbor, that same market. Yeah. Yeah. And who you deal with the most is your property manager. So, you you know, you're going to have a strong, deep relationship with your management company. And uh, and if they're managing multiple properties for you, it you become a more important client. You know, you're not just a one property client. You're a five property client. Well, thank you Fine. for coming on the show, Marco. I really appreciate your time. It was nice to actually uh, talk to you face to face. I've been listening to the podcast for well, probably at least a year and a half. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I need to get back on the horse there and start recording some episodes. I've, I've kind of fallen off. Uh, I've been traveling so much here the last four months. I've been doing sporadic episodes, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll get back on it. All right, perfect. Thank you.